Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. If you would be, open your Bible to 2 Peter, the third chapter. We'll look at a couple of verses out of there and then tying this morning's lesson uh, into our theme as we're studying on Sunday mornings in our Bible classes. And so we'll spend a little time in Genesis, the sixth chapter also uh, tonight. We are thankful to hear the word that our mission team has arrived safely into Brazil. And let's continue to pray for them over their next three weeks and the work that they do. And it's exciting to know that so many have already expressed interest in being engaged with them and uh, studying or learning how to read English by using the Word of God. And, and be prayerful about that. And, and uh, we're just excited about the good that's there. We're thankful tonight to be able to spend some time uh, with Bud Lambert and Sidney and his family, uh, his mother and father. And we're thankful they're here. And we look forward to the time afterward. And as we have said several times uh, throughout the decades, uh, but especially in the last few weeks, how much we love and appreciate Bud and uh, the great work and ministry that, that he has offered to us in giving uh, so much of himself to us, and we, we just can't express uh, the depth of uh, what he means to us, and uh, we look forward to that time after services tonight uh, together. When we think of the opportunity that God gives us to touch other people's lives, it's amazing to think if we could say, God, what, what do you expect of us? And he would expect us to love our neighbor as ourself, and then we say, well, what's involved in that? And can you imagine him not including the influence of eternal life? Think about the things that we quickly and readily share with neighbors, sometimes strangers, sometimes really good friends, sometimes coworkers. Think of the stories we share, the interests that we share in each other, the laughs that we share, the memories that we share, genuine concern about health issues, family issues, on and on. But can you imagine God saying, that's enough. Don't, don't worry if you ever get around to talking about spiritual life, eternal hope. Just be a good person. Isn't it interesting that any time in Scripture we find those paragraphs that deal on the topic of judgment, they help us always take our eyes beyond this earth. I know that in some sense, the idea of judgment can feel very negative. But yet in another real sense, God uses it to give us some very positive teaching. Can you see from judgment and beyond. And when we do see that and we understand what happens on, uh, in judgment, but what happens back to earth and what happens over into eternity, all of these things help bring things into proper perspective. And so today we've been spending some time in 2 Peter, the third chapter, where Peter kept using the word especially in the first few verses of remind, remember, stir up your mind. And then he says, now, now what I want to stir your mind up in ultimately, verse two, is the word of God that's been presented by the prophets and the holy apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He said, I want to stir up your mind. I want to give you a reminder. Here he wrote the reminder. I want you to keep going back and reading it so you'll be reminded over and over of the Word of God. Yes, scoffers are going to come along and they're not going to be concerned with the Word of God. Instead, they're going to walk by the delight or the lust of their, their sinful nature. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to be scoffers because they're going to scoff and make light and mock the Word of God. And for the next several verses, he talks about why those of us that are not scoffers of the Word of God trust the Word of God. Why we, why we, we find great hope and a great measure of security. Isn't it wonderful to know there's something we can really believe 100%? Now that's true. As the old expression is, you can take that to the bank. You can take that to eternity. That's true. And so he lays out and he says, here's some reasons why you can trust it. The word of God did what? Spoke the earth into existence. And so I'd like for you to look in, in 2 Peter 3. And because we're about to tie this back, I want us especially right now uh, to Genesis. I'd like for us to read verse 5 and 6. He says, for this they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water. And so that's one thing that the word of God did was spoke all of this into existence. Verse six, by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. And he's taking verse six and tying it back again to the word of God. Why did the world of God why did the, the world perish with a flood? Because the word of God promised it to Noah. He said he was going to do that. And, and so it's interesting to be able to take, as, as Tim has laid out in our Sunday morning studies, and, and uh, probably most of you are in a Sunday morning uh, class. But if not, you just got to jump in. They're so rich. And the study that he's laid out is, is a beautiful concept, and that is taking a narrative of the scriptures, but especially picking out some of those Old Testament stories and characters that are so oftentimes mentioned in the New Testament. And, and you have to love that approach. In other words, if you can learn these stories in the Old Testament, it'll better help you to understand and appreciate the New Testament. And so how could you not study Noah? Because Noah is mentioned several times in the New Testament. And some of you, many of you would have studied some of this this morning. So just a quick review. Remember Hebrews 11th chapter. Why is Noah mentioned there? He's mentioned because we need to have that kind of faith. And in, in Hebrews 11, and he's, he's mentioned for the fact that when God gave a warning in faith, he believed the warning. That's a perfect example for judgment, isn't it? God's giving us a warning. He says, by the way, we're all going to stand the day of judgment. You can believe my word or you can not believe my word, but I'm, I'm, I'm just giving you a heads up. It's real important. Let's be like Noah. I want to have that kind of faith. I want to have faith that says, if God gives me a heads up, I believe him. And then we go over to 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter, uh, the second chapter, he relates it in, in verse 4 and 5 to judgment. You know, there might be some that say, I just, I just don't think God really condemn individuals. Well, Peter touches on that. And he says, you don't think God will allow judgment to run its course? And he gives several examples, but one of the examples he gives, he says, just look at the flood. Just see how all the wicked were wiped out in the flood because God cast judgment upon them. And so the next time you're tempted to say, I don't, I don't believe God let that happen. First Peter says, let me pull an Old Testament story out for you. Let me show you Noah and what happened in his day and time. And then in first Peter, the third chapter, 
In 1 Peter, we read about the long suffering in verse 20. And that long suffering where God waited and gave Noah time to build the ark. Right now, today, the application to this verse is, today is God's long suffering. If, if you say, you know, I'm not ready for judgment. Today is God's long suffering with you. Like, think about it. If you really are not ready for judgment right now, isn't it a really wonderful thing that Jesus didn't come back yesterday? Today was another day of long suffering where he's saying, okay, I'm going to give you, because in 1 Peter 3, he calls it divine long suffering. So he knows he's not talking about our long suffering. He's talking about God's long suffering. And isn't it wonderful that God has, has suffered long with, with you? And isn't it wonderful that he's giving you gracious opportunities? How beautiful is that? And so that's just touching quickly and, and even relates some of what the ark and the waters and all tying it even into a type of baptism there in first Peter three. And so really he does a few things with the story of Noah in first Peter third chapter, which is all of it's just beautiful. But what I want you to see in the, in the, the chapter that we're studying here is that in, in third, uh, second Peter, the third chapter, he relates it in the context as we already said to God's word. Can you trust God's word? Noah, when, when he said he was going to send a flood, Noah said, I trusted him. I built an ark and he sent the flood. All right, but then the second, and you, if you have your Bible open there, 2 Peter 3, notice in verse 6 again, what does he relate it to? And that's the outcome of the world, which the world that then existed perished. And so then he relates it to judgment. So it's the idea of God's word you can count on and yes, judgment will take place. Now, you and I know that there's a lot more to the story of Noah than just that, but that's the way it's used here. Now, what I'd like to do, since a lot of you studied this this morning, uh, I would like to kind of back up your minds for just a moment because I want to make this kind of a real simple takeaway from here out with a closing that comes back to kind of where we are right now. But, but just for a few minutes and, and the bulk here for just a minute, I want you to go back in your minds, if you will, uh, to maybe junior high. Uh, I, personally, I'd even do this with high schoolers, but a lot of teachers probably think this is oversimplified. Truthfully, I'd do this with, with uh, an adult class. We may do this in a manifold class sometimes. So. But uh, years ago, Miss Mayola's aunt, Fern Hill, taught me one of the most simple ways to help someone learn and remember and apply to their life a Bible story. And it was, it was real simple on this. Isn't that great? Do I need to say any more or do you get it? Isn't that, I mean, that is it. You can use that right there. And, and whether it's a child or, or a, an adult, they just walk away saying, I've got it. I've learned it. And it's, it's real simple. You just open your Bible and you go through the story. If you're reading it, you want to tell it, however you want to do it. And then you say, okay, everybody, here's a piece of paper, divide it into fourths, and sketch out. You can use stick figures, whatever you want. But tell the story we just read, we just talked about in four scenes. And you can tell almost any Bible story in four scenes. And what it does is it helps us to recall the story. But also as we're sketching it out, we're thinking to ourselves, I'm not using words. And if I'm not using words, then we have to apply it. What can I draw that says what that story is saying? 
And it really is amazing how this simple, simple exercise can really work. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do for just about 20 seconds. I'm just not going to say anything. And I want you to stare at those four. And I want you real quick in, in, in your mind, I want you to think if you were going to sketch the story of Noah in four squares, I just want you to think in your mind, what would be an each square? And uh, I know silence sometimes is awkward like this. Don't feel awkward. Just think about that. What would you sketch uh, in, in the four squares? I walked into Philip's office the other day and I said, hey, Philip, would you sketch the story of Noah in four squares? <clears throat> He's a lot more creative than me and a lot better artist. And so he kind of he looked at me, maybe like I was crazy at first, but then he very willingly said, sure, I'll, I'll do that. And so here, here's what he brought me. And uh, I know that's kind of hard to see. It's the best the scanner would do, but, but uh, work with me on this. Let's, let's go to the first one. And... Uh, on the first one is the idea that in the story of Noah, the story kind of begins in Genesis 6 with the world being really evil, doesn't it? I mean, when you start Genesis 6, that's, that's how the story as it moves toward Noah is that the world was really evil. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 6 and 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. You know, Genesis 6 and 5 could have read man was wicked. It could have even said all men were wicked. Isn't it interesting how he goes on with about four or five additional descriptive phrases as, as if to say, I'm telling you they were really wicked. I don't think you're getting the picture. Like everything about their mind. You may not understand this. I'm talking about everything about their heart. I'm talking about they weren't just evil on Fridays and Saturdays. He says, I'm telling you, they were evil continually. Do you get the picture when you read Genesis, the sixth chapter, verse five, that world was a pretty bad place to be. I don't know if it's even healthy to go through comparisons, but when I try to digest what the world must have been like then, and I hear people today say, I tell you, America is really, I don't know if there's ever been anything worse. I would think I could promise you there's been a lot worse than what we experience in our communities today. How bad do you have to be when that is the description that God gives? to a community, to a world. All right, the second box. The second box is, yeah, the, the world is really evil minus one man. And if you don't, like if we try to envision what would that look like and you say, do you think we could pick Noah out? If you could read his sign there a little bit better, you could pick it out because he's the one saying, hi, my name is Noah. I got a wife, three kids. And All right, and so that's, that's how... But there's probably more than just that that you would recognize that, that, it was, that it was Noah. As a matter of fact, 
You know, if, if you can read these verses that when you really think about how that fits into a story like this, how beautiful is it when the horrific scene has just been painted of the world and then you read in the sixth chapter in verse eight, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. I don't know when you read the Bible exactly how your mind processes it. And, and I'm not suggesting by any means that every story I read, I read it like this. But, you know, sometimes I like to stop and just think, what would it have been like to literally be that person? And if you haven't really taken any time ever in your life to stop and do that, I really want to encourage you this week. You know, if you're driving to work or whatever, just turn the radio off. If you're about to go to sleep at night, just don't go to sleep for five or 10 minutes and, and just meditate on a little bit. What would it be like to walk in Noah's shoes? What would it be like? You know, I grew up hearing the old expression, well, dad, everybody's doing it. And then you know what dad would say? No, everybody's not doing it. And he could list several people that aren't doing it. Can you imagine Noah's kids coming up to him? Dad, everybody's doing it. And he says, yeah, yeah, you're right. Everybody is. Dad, have you noticed, like, we're really weird. Have you noticed, like, we believe in God and we don't have any neighbors that believe in God. Dad, where I go to school, Dad, I'm telling you, people are really wicked. Dad, I'm telling you, their hearts are on evil continually. Dad, I'm just trying to find one good friend that I could run with and they'd be a spiritual encouragement. And I can't find one. Yes, son, maybe, maybe we'll just hang out more as a family because you're right. There's not a good neighbor around here. How tough would it be to live in a time and place where no one understood you and appreciated you and looked like you in faith. I'm not asking you to turn your head right now, but in your mind's eye, just look around and see what I'm seeing. A room full of encouragers. Just the very fact that we're together worshiping God. To know that we may not have an easy week, but we can relate to each other. And we're not out there alone. We have a, a host, a family that stands with us. I really can't fully imagine what it would have been like to be like Noah and to continue to stand strong. That's what you have to love about Noah. The whole world was evil. Minus one. And he found grace in the sight of God. So what would the third one be? And the third one would include the fact that God was gracious. He brought, he brought to Noah a plan. He said, I'm offering my grace to you. I'm going to cast judgment. And, and all, all the world's going to be flooded. I want to save you. I want to save your family. I want to save the animals. And so I've got this plan and, and this plan involves graciousness from God. But you know what? Also that plan required obedience from Noah. 
And so when we read, like for example, in Genesis, the sixth chapter, if you have your Bibles, let's read a, a few verses. In verse 13, and God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. This is, this is Genesis 6 and 13. The end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And he goes on, if we read, to, to give a lot of the descriptions of the dimensions, etc., of the ark. And then there is this beautiful description of Noah in verse 22. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. And then there's more said about this in the seventh chapter and you get down to verse five and it says it again. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. And so here we see the, the, the graciousness of God to offer salvation to him. And you see the plan that he offered him. And then you see the humble obedience. It wasn't easy. You know, there, there may be some of us sometimes that get caught up even on something like baptism. And I guess there can be reasons why that's difficult to understand. I'm not trying to go there. But can you imagine if God was asking you to spend decades building a boat, a football in a field and a half long? You talk about changing your life plans. You talk about work, commitment. It's easy for you and I to sit here at night and say, oh, isn't that wonderful? He obeyed. Try to let it sink in what it means for him to obey. And then the final scene. And the final scene of this one is that judgment came. And when we think about that, we read the seventh chapter in verse 23. So he destroyed all the living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle and creeping things and birds of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. So when we look at this next screen, we see the idea of what is the story that we read about in Genesis 6. And the storyline could easily go like this. The whole world was given over to sin. But one man and his family were willing to stand separate. And because of that, God sanctified them. God set them apart. He gave them a plan and they obeyed it. And because of that, when judgment was cast, they were, in a, metaphorically speaking, they were in an ark of safety when all the rest were receiving the condemnation. So what's a story like that supposed to do? Surely there's been some benefit just in studying the word of God. But to loop this all the way back around to where we began this morning, I'd like to go to a passage that Paul wrote. And if you will, look with me to 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, and this is where we're gonna to close tonight. I want us to close by reading three verses. And I want you to think with me, if you will, as we read this. In 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, Paul has spent the first several verses talking about that this life is like a tent 
we're, we're just using this physical body and the soul is in this physical body like it's a tent and it's only here for a little while. And this tent was never meant to be permanent. You see the, the emphasis there? Think about what we studied this morning. So the emphasis there, it's so easy for us to get caught up in, in thinking about everything on this earth. And Paul is, is giving us 2 Corinthians 5 to say, do you realize even your body is not permanent? Everything around you is temporary except your soul. And so it's from there that we read verse 9. Read with me if you will. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all, so we can stop at the end of, of nine and say, why is it so important to you, Paul, to be well-pleasing to God? In verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in, his, in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Does he stop there? That's a lot said. Paul, why do, you, why do you try to please God? Because he's told me judgment's coming. Kind of like Peter, uh, it was said of Peter earlier I, uh, in Hebrews 11. He believed the warning that God gave. Paul, in essence, is saying, I believe the warning. I believe when God says there's going to be a day that I'm going to give an account of myself and everything I've done, I believe that. And, and, you know, and, and we could go into, into talk that we can't prepare on our own. There's no way we can merit it. It's only by God's grace. It's only by his mercy that we can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus so that we can stand on that day and, and, and truly, truly have our sins forgiven, that those things will not be brought up. Instead, God will look at us and see the righteousness of Christ, which is absolutely amazing. But it's in all of this tying back to this morning. Look at the very next verse. This, this always stands out to me as powerful. He's just talked about the day of judgment. And he says in verse 11, knowing therefore, in other words, he says, because I know about the judgment day, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God and also trust are well known in your conscience. Wait a minute, Paul, you're one of the greatest missionaries that's ever lived. What fuels you? And this is what's interesting. It's interesting how many people today will say, you know, I just don't believe we need to be motivated by the judgment. I believe we need to be motivated by loving God. You can't have more than one motivation in your life. And what about this? What if you are motivated by the love of God? How are you going to know what you're motivated about and toward and because of? Absolutely, we need to be motivated by love. First Corinthians 13 chapter tells us if we're not motivated by love, whatever we're doing is vain. It's empty. It's zero. But do you realize how many times God makes the effort to say, I want you to know about judgment. And then Paul writes and says, you know what persuades me? Or you know what moves me to go out and persuade men to follow the Lord? Wait, let me, let me guess, Paul. You go out and you tell them about there's a wonderful group of people that meet there and you're just going to love them. They'll be so good to your kids. Just come. You'll, you will really, you will be happy there. You will be welcome there. Listen, just come and, and 
do we move beyond the earthly in our understanding of why we want people to come to the Lord? Are you listening? We've missed the big picture. If we don't understand that ultimately what we're trying to offer people by the grace of God is eternal life. We want someone to be able to stand on the day of judgment and hear, well done. Can you imagine the number of people that are going to be shocked when they thought the only thing about Christian religion was just going to church and being around good people? I wonder how many are going to say, well, I was around a lot of Christians all my life. I worked around them. I lived around them. They always talked about how good everybody was, but nobody ever talked to me about eternal life. Can you imagine standing on the day of judgment and, and other people saying, I knew Christians and nobody ever mentioned to me judgment. Hello, why didn't somebody mention this? And I know. I know there's got to be the right time and place. I know you don't just walk into the office tomorrow morning and say, hey, buddy, I've worked with you 10 years. I want to tell you about judgment. I get it. But I'm also saying this to you this evening. That if we're not working toward that and opportunities to study with people and opportunities to influence them and opportunities to have deeper communication with them, our shallowness is killing us and our friends around us. Why is it so important to God that he would continually bring up judgment? Why is it he would give us an amazing story about Noah and really the bulk of the story is about judgment? Here's a man who found grace. Here are people that would not yield to God. He was saved. They were condemned. I close with just three pointers, not saying this is complete or whole. But I believe one reason why God continually brings up judgment is to remind us we're accountable. We're real good at excuses and we're real good at blaming other people. And on the day of judgment, it's not going to be anything but personable accountability. Second, I believe he brings up judgment because it reminds us of the judge. Leave the M-E-N-T off of judgment. There's a judge. He is just, he is fair, but you know what else he is? He's all knowing. We're not going to pull the wool over his eyes. Fortunately for us, he's all loving. He's gracious. I need to spend a lot of time getting to know this judge. And it would be better if I first knew him as my savior. But a third reason I need to study and know about judgment is because there's a verdict. Everyone that's ever lived will hear one 
of two outcomes. They will either be moved into salvation for an eternity with God or into condemnation and into hell. If that's left you feeling kind of heavy, I can't help but think that that's why God writes about it. We're not talking about sipping on coffee Monday morning. We're talking about some big, heavy stuff that's in every one of our future. And isn't it wonderful that God has a scheme of salvation so that we on that day can pass through that with Christ's righteousness and be delivered to the heavenly father into an eternal existence that's far greater than what we could ever imagine. Do you know that's your path tonight? It's not because you're so good, it's because God is so good. It's because of his grace and his mercy. And have you, have you come and obeyed God's grace? Titus 2, 11 talks about the grace of God and says that it teaches us. We can obey what God asks of us. And if you haven't done that, we would urge you to do that tonight. Or, or if you don't even know what that means, we'd love to sit down and study with you. We really would. We're not just saying that. We really would. It's too important. It's too big to just overlook it and push it off to the side. Maybe you've begun that journey. And along the way, you can honestly say to yourself right now, I do not want the Lord to come tonight in the condition I'm in. This service, please see it as the divine long-suffering of God not because you've endured the preacher, but because God has given you this time. God is giving you this opportunity. God will never stop loving you. But his divine long-suffering will expire. Every one of us will reach a time that it will be too late. May God give us wisdom as we deal with our own soul and to know how best to help other people. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.